Hello to all of our quality-minded listeners and a special shout out to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. Today, we're going to talk with a healthcare leader and explore issues related to patient experience. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic and a vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality. Co-hosting with me today is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. And I know I've talked about this before, but patient experience is very close to my heart, having worked in that role many, many years at Mayo Clinic. And so I'm really excited that not only today, but in a number of upcoming podcasts, we get to talk about experience. Yeah, you know, Sherry, you always light up when we talk about patient experience. But I'm actually going to guess that for some of our listeners, they may not have the same reaction, particularly people who work in healthcare. So, you know, I'm just going to ask, I mean, when I say patient experience, what do you start thinking about? Do you start thinking about a satisfaction survey questionnaire, like you get after a flight? Or do you think about a set of acronyms that measure hospital patient experience? Or do you think of a set of tactics or things like scripting? Or do you think about responding to patient complaints? I mean, all of these things, I think of, I I thought to say them, but I'm really hoping that today's conversation is going to challenge and expand the concept of a patient experience well beyond that, because I become more and more convinced, maybe by being around you, Sherry, I've become more and more (laughs) convinced that patient experience isn't just one dimension of quality, that it's actually woven into a lot of dimensions of healthcare quality. And and I am rubbing off on you. (laughs) You are. Yes, yes, exactly true. I guess my wife would say you've been a positive influence on me. So I think patient experience, just sharing my own thoughts, it it is a crucial aspect of quality. For one thing, you know, if you read the literature, it is an indicator of of quality and uh, positive patient experience correlates very closely with other quality of care measures. When patients feel heard and respected and well-informed, they're a lot more likely to trust the physicians and nurses that are caring for them and they adhere to their treatment plans better. And those lead in turn to better outcomes. The other thing is there's a pretty good literature that talks about how good patient experience enhances patient safety. That open communication that occurs as a result of trust really allows patients to talk about their concerns and ask questions. And finally, I think being concerned about patient experience tends to make us have much more open and uh, curious mindset so we can identify issues that can benefit from improvement. But enough of that. We're going to build in now the perspectives of a healthcare leader. So I'm really excited to introduce to you a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. John Davis. Dr. Davis is a professor of dermatology and pediatrics. She was the past president of our Mayo Clinic staff. So she's dealt a lot with these issues. And even more than that, she's currently the division chair of our clinical dermatology service. Don, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be with us. I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Mayo and and maybe a a snippet about your Mayo journey so far. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Tim and Sherry, for inviting me to be a guest. And I feel very honored to talk about this subject because it's something that I feel passionately about. And while hopefully I'm an expert, I feel like it's a gap that I'll never close because I want personal continued growth for myself and for my team in this area, because I think that patient experience is so important to our culture at Mayo Clinic, but also to quality and safety. We're all really here for the patient. And it's really fun because patient experience puts the patient at the center of the conversation, which is really everything that we do and why we're here. 
So born and raised in Kansas City, very Kansas City gal. My husband is also from Kansas City. And we came to Mayo Clinic because we believe in the needs of the patient coming first and our rich ties values. I love Kansas City sports. I'm a self-proclaimed barbecue and beef expert. Aha. Yes. <laughs> yes. And maybe in my next life, I'll be a sports commentator or a food taster. <laughs> or both. Nice. Why not? I can do both. You can you do know? both. Absolutely. And, and I also like chocolate. Fortunately, dark chocolate does, you know, help your HDL. And so that, that helps my cholesterol lipids a little bit, lipid levels a little bit. It's the excuse I use. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There are worse habits, right? Worse habits. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm cringing a little bit when you tell me you're a KC fan, because uh, this last weekend didn't turn out so well for Kansas City fans, I think. Well, I will just claim publicly, I am a lifelong Chiefs fan. I have been a proud member of Chiefs Kingdom and the Royals Kingdom my entire life. And that does not matter based on the numbers of W's and L's because I am not a fair weather fan and I'm passionate right. regardless. And uh, they've stumbled a little bit this year, but I wholeheartedly believe in them and I believe in what they stand for. And so huh. I'm proud. Don, I think you've already answered this, but I'm going to just ask the question so you can you know, satisfy our curiosity. I mean, why is patient experience so important to you as a clinical leader? I believe it was Maya Angelou who said... People may not remember what you say. People may not remember what you did, but people will remember how you made them feel. Now in healthcare, of course, I hope that my patients remember what I say and I write it down for them and, you know, so that they can take them it with them and it's in the medical record. And hopefully they remember what we did and why we did it. And that's also documented and written down for them. And that's part of patient experience. But I do believe that people in general will remember the ethos of how they felt and if they felt heard, listened to, valued, and that they were the center of their own medical journey, because we are here in medicine not to serve ourselves or to dictate to patients what to do, but to meet them where they are and walk with them. We have the privilege of walking with them on their medical journey and trying to guide them so that they can have the best outcome for themselves. I personally got interested in patient experience, firstly, because I have some leadership positions where that's, of course, of utmost importance and aligns with our mission, that the needs of the patient come first and our rich ties values, you know, respect, integrity, compassion, healing, innovation, teamwork, excellence, and stewardship. But really patient experience, my light bulb moment or kind of ethos that I try to teach the team is that patient experience does not start with me and it does not end with me. It's mm. really the team. And just like many things in healthcare, patient experience is team-based. From the moment the patient tries to contact your institution to the moment that they leave and then any time in between, patient experience takes all of us. A lot of healthcare professionals tend to think of it as a in a very narrow spectrum that it's from when I'm with the patient and when I exit the patient's exam room or if I message the patient on the portal. But really, it's so much more than me. It's about the team. There is no I in team. And I think that that's really the case when it comes to patient experience. Yeah, that's really an important point, Dr. Davis, about that whole continuum, right? Even if they're thinking about coming to get care from us, their experiences, even they, what they might have on the website, right? So it, it really is this broad swath. So if we could dig into that just a little bit deeper from your perspective, what are those impacts for patient experience? 
Absolutely. So I think about a few things. So it's not just the people. So I've just spent a lot of time talking about how it's the people mm -hmm. and it's the broad experience. And while people are certainly important because we are a people organization whose mission it is to care for people, it goes beyond those kind of things to infrastructure and operational excellence. And so that's something in my leadership roles that I can help bring to the forefront. So I think about ergonomics, right? So for patients who have different physical abilities, for people of different ages, for people who speak different languages, is the clinic space welcoming and easy for everyone to use? I think about the flow of the clinic. You know, institutions are large. People, even when they do work in healthcare, but especially if they don't, clinics and hospitals can be very scary and intimidating, and it looks kind of standardized where all the hallways and all the rooms tend to look alike. So how do you find your way? I think about, is it welcoming? Do people feel like they belong? Is it a warm area because healthcare is scary and people are distracted and it can be a very concerning time for individuals? So do they feel nurtured by the environment, like sunlight? and plants and adequate lighting. And, you know, are people going to trip over the rugs? Do people have handrails where they need it? Are there hand sanitizer stations? Are the elevator signs easy to read and are they accessible? And then I think about not only our physical interactions that I've just explained, but also the other platforms because medicine and healthcare is changing and we now connect with patients in many other ways. Is our website up to date? What about our online patient portals? What about our video care? and the ways that our allied health staff often interact with our patients so that they can have a seamless experience before they see us during, they, during their time with us and then afterward. And then how do they know when to communicate back to us and the best way to do that in a way that is easy for them and hopefully as seamless as possible. It's really about infrastructure, ergonomics, operational excellence, and also the patient care. Wow. Don, it is very comprehensive. And you're right. I mean, I think one of the reasons that uh, we do as well as we do is because we've been a team-based organization since, you know, 150 years ago. Your sphere of influence is very large, but let's just take it right down. I mean, what are the things that you do in your practice to connect with the patient and to enhance their visit with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, Firstly, I try to appreciate and understand who my patient is. So I try to have cultural awareness and sensitivity and practice equity, inclusion, and diversity principles. And that aligns very highly with our Rich Ties values. Now, it's impossible to know every particular cultural nuance, but I think patients understand and appreciate when you try. The next thing I do, which I try to teach the trainees because I think this is a really important pearl, is you have a lot of things going on in your mind you have a, a long to-do list in your workday. You're worried about other patients that aren't the patient you're going to see next. You're trying to prepare and teach learners or there's other issues going on. And you have to remember that the patient doesn't understand the cloud or the baggage uh, that you carry on your mental to-do list. And so I encourage myself to try to leave my thought list and my mental weight outside of the door. So that way, when I move into the patient's exam room, I give them as much of my attention as possible. And if there's an exception to that rule, for example, I'm waiting on a critical result on another patient, or I'm trying to admit another patient to the hospital, I will mention to the patient, I know that this is our special time together today, but I just want to tell you that I have a critically ill patient in the hospital. If I get a page, I might have to step out for two minutes so that I can help someone else. 
And I think patients are very gracious about that because they understand that we need to take care of others. And I think it demonstrates to them that if they were in a similar situation, that I would take care of them. The other thing I do before I walk in the door is I'm mindful of my voice. I'm an extrovert. I like to chat with my team. I want our team to have great collaboration. And I think that positively impacts patient experience. But doors aren't solid walls. I mean, technically they are, but figuratively, oftentimes people can hear noise through the door and they can hear partial noise. So they might not have perspective on our conversation or might misinterpret things. And so you just want to make sure that your hallway conversations are not about other patients or that you don't disclose something that could be misinterpreted and you want to protect, you know, patient healthcare information. I always knock on the door so that the patient is not startled. And I'm always careful when I open the door because I don't know who's behind the door, literally. It could be a little child. It could be some medical equipment in the way. It could be the patient who was just getting dressed or got up to get something out of their bag. And then once the patient and I are seated, and I try always to sit to show the patient that I'm paying attention to them, I will turn my body physically to the patient, not just my upper body, but my lower body as well. So my knees face the patient and so does my torso and so does my head. And I try to meet the patient at their level. So if it's a three-year-old on the floor, I'm on the floor. <laughs> and I introduce myself and my role. And then I go around the room and I introduce everyone who's in the room and their role because it's intuitive to me, but it's not necessarily intuitive to the patient. And then I offer the patient to introduce him or her or themselves. I will ask them what their goals are. And then I'll ask them who their accompanying guests are because I don't want to misinterpret who's in the room. So that kind of establishes who's who, and that just allows for a more impactful visit. Another thing that I do is I try to meet the patient where they are. And I mean that in multiple facets. Emotionally, they might be very stressed. Intellectually, what is their reading level? What's their comfort level with medical jargon? And also physically. So like I said, if the patient is tall, I'm quite short, I'll lift my chair so that I'm, I try to be as eye level as I can. If the patient's crawling on the floor, I'll meet them on the floor. And I make sure that I translate medical jargon into lay terms that they can understand. And I be sure to write things down because we talk all the time about medicine. It's very natural for us, but patients are trying their best to think about their medical situation as a whole. And that can be very overwhelming. So when I write things down on the notepad, not only does it show that I want them to remember what occurred, but it shows that I'm taking time to invest in them personally and do something you know, above and beyond that shows that it's not just a written script, that it's customized to their individual care. If there's some sort of nuance, we already talked about getting paged. If I'm running behind or if there was some sort of nuance where I was late, I always just own that and I apologize. I apologize I'm running five minutes late. You know, I had an extra patient to see or um, I gave a lecture and it was in another building and I ran here as fast as I could. <laughs> I try to chat about something with the patient that's beyond the medical episode. So patients don't necessarily just want to show up on my door have them look at their skin, talk about what it is, and then go away. I want to get to know them as a person. And I feel that, you know, this is a people mission and we're taking care of people. And I want to show them I care about you beyond your medical concern. And I also express that we're going to practice whole person care. So I will get to know the patient as a person, hobbies, things they're doing in school or work, if they have any new activities, things like that. And then I document that in my medical record. It serves as a prompt for me for next time. And it gives us something to talk about 
and to bond over. And then I always make sure that once we've clarified the reason that the patient has the visit, that, that we listen. And it's very hard for physicians when we think we know what the problem is and the patient has clarified what their goals are. It's very hard to sit and listen because sometimes you believe that you already know the diagnosis and what plan you want to pursue and you want to help the patient. So you try to jump in. But I think it's important to sit back, but yet sort of lean in to show you're paying attention and listen to the patient's entire story. And while this may appear to take a very long amount of time, studies show on average that it takes two minutes. And I think that we owe all patients two to three minutes of listening for sure, or as long as they want to go on. And I think it's very important that we use body language or verbal cues to show that we believe the patient because patients want to know that we believe them and that they are heard and validated. Lastly, we have what I call doorknob diagnoses. So if you've done all of these things in order to acknowledge whole person care and to give the patient an, a reason to pause and think so they can collect their thoughts uh, before my hand hits the doorknob, uh, so to speak, I will say, what else would you like to talk about today? And I use that question purposely because it's open-ended. Instead of saying, is there anything else that you need? Or we're done, right? That's a closed-ended question. Yeah. I try to have an open-ended question. And then I always say, what other questions do you have today? So I always ask about other things like practicing whole person care. And I give an opportunity, again, in an open-ended way for questions. And then I just want to clarify, I think it's important, and this is something that I didn't appreciate when I was first practicing medicine, it's really important to show your own personal flaws. So it's important to say, I'm sorry. It's important to say, I made a mistake, or I didn't hear you, or it's okay to say, I don't know. And that shows respect for the patient. And it shows your humility and it shows that you are going through a journey of self-improvement as a professional to try to help your patients. So I used to feel like I wasn't doing a good job if I had to say, I don't know, or I had to apologize, even though it was very appropriate to do so. And now I believe that that's a very positive and proactive thing. And so the more I practice medicine, the more ironically I say, I don't know. I appreciate that also in my own practice. And I think that is something that comes with experience and confidence and, you know, having committed to working with patients, you know, a very common thing I'll say is, well, I don't know yet, but I'm, we're going to work together and sort this out. We will figure this out. And, you know, that just kind of establishes a bit of a covert teamwork between, you know, myself and the patient. We, we will figure this out. Those are really wonderful tips that you've offered. Yeah, you shared so many great ways about how you can really integrate making human connections and building relationships with your patients into your practice. And I know you mentioned the thing about two minutes and people say, well, I just don't have time for that. But I want to ask, how do you motivate your team for putting the needs of the patient first as a top priority? Absolutely. So the two-minute example, I'll say, well, if we give the patient two to three minutes now, guess how much time burden, that's going to save the patient and the care team later. Because if we don't understand why they're here and we don't allow them to tell their full story, then that's going to circle back to the patient. They're going to have follow-up concerns and questions. Other 
whole person care issues are going to arise. And we're going to end up spending much more time on the tail end uh, than we do in the office itself. So, you know, healthcare professionals have concerns about clerical burden. And one of the best ways I think to decrease clerical burden is to make sure that the episodes you're currently in is complete and to ask those two key open-ended questions at the end of the visit. What other things would you like to talk about today? And what other questions do you have? Because it is almost without fail that every patient will have at least one or both questions, you know, will have content. What you just said, it just makes me think when I was a kid, I used to go with my dad out to work on the farm out on the ranch. And we'd always stop at this little garage in Wiggins, Colorado. And in the garage, there was this sign, the mechanic had a sign up that said, if you didn't, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when will you have time to do it again? You are so spot on with that. The number of times I can count that at the end of an encounter, I thought I was done. And then, you know, they say, oh, yes. And one more thing. And you just say, why didn't I take the time at the beginning of this to listen to them a little longer? Because now it's going to take time to sort that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm a parent and I'm a pediatrician as well as a dermatologist. And not that you treat your patients like they're your children, but rather I give my, I try to pause and give myself the advice that I would give my own children. Right. So I would tell my children, well, rather than cleaning your room halfway the first time, why don't you take five extra minutes and clean it right the first time? And then you won't have to do it again. And I won't have to yeah. ask you. Right. So yeah. a lot of times if we just give ourselves the advice we would give others and actually listen to our own wisdom, <laughs> that would be positive. <laughs> Obviously doing those things is really a pathway towards better and better care. How, how does providing excellent care to patients impact your staff satisfaction, your team's satisfaction? I think that focusing on patient experience improves personal satisfaction and improves team dynamics and individual employee, you know, allied health staff satisfaction. First of all, we all went into medicine to help others, right? And joy is contagious. So when you can float someone else's boat, when, when you, when they rise, you rise with them, right? It's one of the best joys is paying it forward and giving the gift of health and well-being to another. And so when you can see the magic in the patient exam room, it's a nice reminder of why we're all here and people want to help and they want to pay it forward. And so it's really, that's the magic of medicine. And we're in a people profession. And when the patient wins and the patient is better, then we all indirectly get to experience that. And it makes the team closer and stronger because we know we did it together. Like it has taken a village to raise me and it takes a village to help my patients. And it's a team sport. Medicine is a team sport. Yeah, we've moved in, makes me think of we've moved into talking about not just patient experience, but calling it Mayo Clinic experience, because we know it's more than just about the patient, right? It's about our families and our communities and our staff and our volunteers, right? All of the people that are involved in that long continuum that we talked about at the beginning. So I'm going to ask this as my last question for you. So what would you say to a clinical leader who wants to start making patient experience more of a priority into their area? How would you advise them? 
I would say thank you, because I think that's the right thing for our patients and for healthcare at large. I would encourage them to consider it as a whole team effort and to look beyond the individual healthcare professional who's getting the survey, because um, the ratings and the survey and the experience go beyond the intimate one-on-one -on -one interaction between the patient and the healthcare professional. And I would encourage them to give cultural sensitivity and awareness training to everyone. We just talked about how we're a team and we have different players and personalities and talents and things, but we need to look beyond the patient because the patient is not just a patient. We talked about how the patient is a person and how we try to bond with them and document that in the medical record so that we can show the patient respect and know that we want to care about them as a person. But that patient is also more than just a person. That person has a village themselves, right? They are um, someone's child, perhaps someone's parent, someone's best friend, someone's spouse, someone's community member. They have a job, they contribute to society. They have a village themselves. And so when we take care of an individual, we truly tend to a village. And I hope that we're able to broaden our definition and broaden our scope. I think we tend to focus and score patient experience on a narrow range when actually we'd be more successful if we thought about it broadly. Wow. Well, Don, it's easy to see that we could go on for a long time. You have a lot of wisdom to share and a lot of experience, and we've really appreciated that you were willing to spend the time sharing with us here. Thank you so much. Well, yes, thank, thank you, you. and Sherry, it's been my pleasure. So we have come to the end of our podcast and we're glad that you could join us and hope that the information provided has been insightful and valuable. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to highlight some first steps in addressing important quality challenges in your organization. Our goal is to improve quality for patients in the populations that we all serve. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be very grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcast, a rating on Spotify, or feedback wherever you listen. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.